Hello, hello, 5678, your favorite podcast on dance training is finally back. Forgive me for the long break, but yeah, you all know there has been uh, COVID-19 complications which made recording tricky for a while and uh, there's also been summer holiday, but now I'm back and have some great episodes coming out. In uh, this episode, I talk with Björn Sefsten, and I will play that in a moment. Um, but before, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It uh, makes me super happy to see that people are listening, and also to hear from some of you with uh, thoughts and feedback. As you will hopefully notice... Talking about some of that feedback, there has been a sound upgrade. So uh, hopefully the volume will be better and the sound very, very crisp. Mm. I think that's it. Mm. Yes, enjoy the fourth episode of 5678 with Björn Sefsten. Five, six, seven, eight. Hello and welcome to Five, Six, Seven, Eight, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Berstold. And today I'm here with Björn Sefsten. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Nice to be here. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, So just a little background that we actually met for the first time this week. Because you are having a workshop here at Norrdans where I work in Hannesand. And that's also where we're sitting and recording this podcast. Um, could I ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm a choreographer. I'm 39 years old. I'm based in Stockholm. Um, I've been actually based there almost my whole professional life. I had a few trips, uh, <laughs> like a period when I was living in Austria and a period when I was living in Spain. But, uh, and I'm from Umeå from the beginning. And I'm a choreographer mainly, but I'm more and more, again, calling myself a performer. <laughs> Uh, and I'm also, uh, I always find it tricky with these titles, but in a way, um, curator also, because I've been since 2015 organizing and curating a number of different symposiums and festivals. And now I have a biannual festival within, that is called Within Practice in Stockholm. It's every every even uh, year we're trying to, to do it. Right. Nice. So my uh, first question to you to get to know a bit more about your dance training background is how did you start to dance? Well, for me, there's the kind of like two stories and sometimes I'm unsure which came first. But um, the, the biggest impact actually um, was Madonna's video Vogue because I had MTV and I was like maybe... I don't know, maybe 11, 12 years old. And I saw that video and it was a huge thing for me um, 
in Umeå in the 90s to see many things that I didn't understand at the time. Because what I saw, I think, was also kind of an... I could identify with these guys, these male dancers, um, because of their sexuality. But I, and I didn't know it at the time, but I realized that later, that that was kind of a huge thing for me because there was not that much representation (laughs) in TV and or in my family or in the city um, that I knew of. So it was a huge thing. So I think it was like, because of that, I wanted to be them. And of course, I also thought the dancing was amazing. So I also wanted to learn how to Vogue. There were no voguing classes in Umeå, and I had no clue that it was called voguing either. So, uh, but it was a reason to start dancing. Um, and more or less in the same time, I had one of my best friends, she was dancing, but she didn't know anyone in the kind of evening course that she was taking. So she was like, you should come along. And so I did. And I think both of them was, yeah, that was the beginning. And it was called, back in the days, that was called street dance. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what kind of class was that, the first class? Well, yeah, I don't really remember all of it. I remember some stretching exercises that I thought was really hard and, and difficult and instructions about prolongating the back that I remember. I was like, oh, wow, what, what is this? I also remember steps that were similar to like running man, kind of, which was something that I had practiced on in a disco before so that was kind of oh i know this mm. yeah but i don't remember so much more yeah and i and didn't really stay with then i started with what is what was in sweden at that time called free dance later on so like free dancing or yeah some kind of contemporary dancing right or modern maybe we would call it today um, but did you find your way to uh, free dance pretty soon then yeah mm. pretty soon mm. Mm, it was kind of it was this typical dance school thing that you're in the class and then you either come early and you see a bit of the class that was before or you stay a bit later to see the class after. And then I saw this free, free, free dance <laughs> class and I was like, oh, wow, I like this much more. So I actually never really stayed with the street thingy. I wish I would know this. That would have been fun. But yeah. Mm. Do you remember what it was about uh, the free dance class that attracted you? Oh, that's a really good question. No, I don't remember, actually. I do know that that, that first uh, teacher, she was called Erika something, that I liked her a lot. Like, I stayed with her. I mean, later on, I also started to dance for a lot of other teachers and ballet and jazz and all of that. But yeah, I think she had an impact. Mm. Do you remember in general what it was with dance that made you want to take more classes and do it more? I know that I later, like more in high school, um, because I was doing, I always been doing a lot of sports. In my family, it was kind of, my mom was very, well, she was strict in many ways. And also when it came to physical activity, and she had this rule that uh, we could do whatever physical activities or sports that we wanted, but we had to have a summer and a winter sport. Like, right. And we, um, sometimes I'm thinking like, thank God that the three, I have a sister and a brother, and thank God that the three of us actually always been liking physical activities because that type of household could have been uh, horrendous and created traumas for other types of people. But we all liked it. So for us, it was a good thing. And um, so I was doing many different sports, but I was for a long time doing athletics. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to actually pursue that as a career at a, at a specific point. And I was in the Swedish championships and all of that. So, and then, and then I also always had uh, drawing. I liked drawing a lot and I had 
a big interest of becoming an artist also somehow. I mean, this is a very young person we're speaking about, but you know. And I remember that I at least explaining to myself as a, the perfect combination, the dancing, that it was kind of this, the physical and the artistic together. But sometimes I'm not sure if that was really it. I think also like I could probably have like, for example, with the athletics, I didn't do that, I think, because there were so few in my age group that was doing it. So I think there was something also with the community around the dancing. And second of all, um, because I was, I mean, at that time, I knew that I was gay. And I was also, I had a hard time in school with the social, the whole social thing was difficult because of that and because I was quite feminine. So I think also I knew that this will be a better world for me to go into. So I think there was many, many reasons why I went to dance and some of them. But it's really hard also to know nowadays. Is this like, is this narrative that I have made? Yeah. Or was it really like that? But was it like mm. that when you started uh, pursuing dance? Did you have the feeling that it was a different world? Maybe not specifically the dance, but I started the like... Um, Estetiska gymnasiet, so kind of this arts high school, and in, uh, and I went to the um, visual arts for one year, and then the dance teachers persuade me to to shift. <laughs> uh, so sometimes I'm thinking also I would not have become a professional if I would have been a woman, because they would never have done that with a girl. Oh yeah, that's also kind of says a lot I think, but um, anyhow, so the, yeah, and when I went into that high school. That I really felt the difference. Oh, okay, this was kind of the, it was the first time I could be myself and I could be in an environment where I felt accepted. And um, so maybe not dance in general, but more like the arts or the people that tend to be in the arts. And I was also like <laughs> very strongly because of political reasons and everything, like really pushing for being not like the rest and non-conformative and normative. And I, you know, I had all different colors of my hair and I was wearing dresses and you know I was very like provocative and out there so uh, I don't think I was always that easy to be around maybe but <laughs> but that was of course a position where where people that where, the, where that was valued let's say yeah mm. so how did it uh, continue where did the dance take you after high school yeah so um I think this is interesting also because this is kind of we had internet but internet was not what it is today. <laughs> so it was not like you went on internet to find information about things. No, you read on notes on the wall in your dance studio. It feels like I'm Asian, and you know, Asian. <laughs> but anyhow, um, so I didn't know about that many types of schools. And most of the people in the years before me had gone to Ballet Academy. So I did the same thing. So I did the audition. There. And I want, knew that I wanted to become a choreographer. I had this really strong idea that I had started dancing too late to become a dancer. So, but then uh, Doc at that time, because that was the only school I knew about that had <laughs> a choreographic education, um, you could only apply every three years. So I was like, okay, but then I, I do the audition for Ballet Academy and then maybe I can become a better dancer and then I'm going to get into this school because that was always the goal. So I did, and I luckily got in, so I moved to Stockholm, I went to the Ballet Academy, and then throughout these years, they were going to change the choreographic education. So they postponed this audition all the time. So in the end, I had already finished Ballet Academy, and I just did not want to study anymore. I was kind of done with that, now I want to work. So I never, never did any education as a choreographer, actually. Yeah. 
And how did you experience the ballet academy and the, all the training there? Oh yeah, many different. Oh, yeah, that's a whole chapter, right? There were so many different types of training, and um, what was your favorite? Oh, yeah. I think actually, uh, I realized that my favorite was modern jazz, because I think was a lot of the modern training that we had were also super old school. Uh, and I didn't know that it was old school. I thought that was what contemporary dance practice was about. But we were doing Limon and Graham and Cunningham and none of these. I mean, I've never been very flexible and especially um, kind of tight in my hips. So a lot of these practices was just horrendous and painful. And um, I don't think I had teachers that either managed me really to get past that somehow. Um, and somehow for me, it was almost close to ballet, which is also always a bit of a trauma for me to do. So the jazz was kind of the only place where I was, oh, but here's actually about, this is about movement quality. It's not about shaping and lines. It's about momentum, dynamics, um, things that I thought was fun and that I felt good at. Um, yeah, so I think that was the most fun. But then I think it was also like dependent on the teachers. I had some great ballet teachers and I had a lot of... Um, yeah, so it's, it's, I don't, yeah, yeah, dependent on who you talk about or what year or, I mean, yeah, I think one of the big issues of also was just that we just did too much training and we did almost nothing else. We just did like kind of strict old fashioned dance classes for a day. Everything starting with plié entendu. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, it was very monotonous and everything was kind of working on the same muscles. So I think also we were just, hmm, what do you say in English actually, övertränad. Yeah, I don't know, over, overtrained. Or yeah, when, you, when you've been doing something too much, so it's actually yeah. for your muscles are not getting better at it. It's kind of, you're just getting more and more sloppy. And I think that happened a lot. Um, so it's like, what's more quantitative than like real quality and I think sometimes it felt if I'm thinking back it's like didn't they communicate with each other or how did they between the different um, subjects actually talk because we had I mean I would say like in general we had really good professional um, teachers I, I have a high respect for most of them but the education was also at that time not kind of old-fashioned also and this was an issue for me later on if you're talking about dance training like because i um got a, my first job in austria in this youth company so i moved there and started to work there and uh and then we had of course morning classes in the company and they were all sorts of things but like flying low or feldenkrais or you know, all of these things that i have never met so i've been so i was kind of in shock realizing shit i thought i was a contemporary dancer but i'm not i'm like a dancer from the 70s and I really have to quickly understand all of these techniques that I'm supposed to know to be able to work <clears throat> and so I was also like traveling around Europe a lot trying to do workshops everywhere you know like I really like shit I thought I was professional I was of course but you know but the training continued oh gosh yes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did you know for example we had also so little improvisation you know there was a lot of in terms of a contemporary dance education, there was, I would say, like the majority of the important things were, were, were missing. <laughs> yeah. But we learned other things, though. I mean, yeah. Hmm. 
Nice. So um, thinking about all of this dance training that you've gone through and also the training that you did after school, mm. Mm. could you mention something or some things that you are grateful that your dance training has been training? I think actually one of the <clears throat> easiest uh, things to mention for me was when I um, got over a package of the foresight uh, improvisation methodologies. I mean, this was not maybe part of my training, it was a training that I did by myself. But also once again, because internet was not the same thing, so there was not that much um, literatures or video to be able to access, like you could go to Dance Museet and watch things on the video there, but it was really hard to find the archiving. And I think maybe because Ballet Academy was not at all a university degree, so we didn't either have uh, a strong academic education at all. So I, I couldn't either really fall back to that, which I've been doing later, like realizing, oh, okay, I need to read all of this and that in post-structural philosophy or queer theory or all these things that are so interlinked with our field. And this was pre that even. <laughs> but when then I found these DVDs and it was, I think, maybe the first time where I felt like clearly someone could describe a well-developed and easy perceived methodology within improvisation. Before that, I have had like all the instructions were kind of loose and very open. And I think this kind of very simplistic um, limitations really did something for me. And I think it actually has affected a lot how I think and develop practice, even though I'm not interested maybe in doing that type of language or choreography. But I think in terms of how to structure um, a language or how to structure an imaginary world or how to connect spatial instructions to um, joints or you know like making this very clear somehow and also I think what's genius with that is that it's somehow um, the idea or the 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 idea that you're working with the instruction is very simple but it creates a lot of complexity movements-wise in the body that is doing it. And this combination was something that I also felt very drawn to when I was starting to develop my own um, methodologies. So yeah, that was If someone don't know these videos, could you give an example of what kind of tasks it could be? Right, so um, there was many DVDs and it was very much like Foresight was there. He was talked like, oh yeah, so this is the instruction, blah, blah, blah. And then they had this very, um, graphically, pedagogically made, like a dancer was dancing and then it was kind of drawn afterwards, like in kind of an after effect, uh, the shapes that the dancer was doing. So it was super easy to understand. And so the thing could be like, okay, yes, let's make curves with um, different limbs of the body. And then, yeah, the person is drawing curves in space or uh, let's draw furnitures or yeah. And so all the DVDs had different, um, yeah, different instructions and then of course combination of instructions. So what if we combine drawing chairs and dropping points, you know, whatever. You can still find these on YouTube. So if anyone is interested, it's really easy to access. Yeah, they're great. They're I've great. I think yeah. it's very pedagogic and and I must say also like we can whatever you think of him or this I mean this was kind of early on from my perspective also. And if I remember of how I was taught in improvisation yeah, he was kind of advanced. Um, what was the difference? <laughs> no, but I think in in terms of like, uh, here was a clear system. 
that is because sometimes I feel like when people have when it's so easy to explain the different steps, someone has really thought them through, then it's kind of a system that is also kind of intricate and <laughs> and detailed. But I, I found that um, in Ballet Academy, at least, a lot of the improvisation classes, the few ones we, we also had so little, was basically just about moving around. There were no clear instructions, I would say. Just dance, you know, kind of someone put on music and everyone was just going with a whatever flow or feeling, which I don't think really is teaching. First of all, everyone then in the room is working probably with different methodologies. Secondly, most people are just repeating things they anyhow know. And thinking from <laughs> what I saw in these classes, most of us were just doing steps we liked. I don't know if that's so interesting in terms of learning improvisational skills. No, not for me at least. Yeah. I think it's pleasurable to do, but you can do that out clubbing as well. So, mm. yes. Um, this is the first week of the new season here at Nordans, and you have this um, like uh, introduction uh, week where we have a longer workshop, and um, there is this new format here where we have now two hours every week where we have time for our own practice and I know you are also invited as an example and uh, something to start this discussion around what a practice can be Mm. and of course we know like this word practice has circulated so much in our field these yeah last years and I know you have spent quite some time with that word and that you're also organizing a festival called Within Practice Mm -hmm. and that has also been part of your choreographic work. So I thought maybe we could just start with um, what is a practice and what does it mean to you and how do you understand this word? Right. I think it's, I mean, the reason why we chose the word for the festival is just because it is, I felt everyone talks about their practice and because practice can mean so many things, it's convenient, but it's also difficult because of that we don't know anymore what it is, right? Practice can be to practice um, a series of steps. It could be to invent, let's say, a new uh, physical practice. It could be a f- like a practice with your body, but nowadays it could also, of course, be a practice of lighting or how to move uh, leaves in the wind or, you know, whatever. I think like... Today it's really hard within the choreographic field to know what a practice is or practicing or creating a practice or all of these different things. So I thought it was that was one of the reasons with uh, within practice that we kind of wanted to also like, uh-huh, if the terminology now is watered down, how could we create a platform where um, a big part of the, the field, at least in Sweden, can meet and discuss how we think about this terminology today? And not maybe to find a clear definition, because I think it's good that we don't have, but we need forums when, for when talking about it, or maybe like this pod could perhaps offer different perspectives, right? But like more clear examples, because I think one of the big issues with our field is because we perform so little and um, there's a lot of the, let's say, the so-called important historical <laughs> works. So few of us have seen them live And so we very seldomly can share the same references as many other fields can. They can have books or notation systems and stuff like this. So I think it's also like how to then 
how then to come to certain common ideas or references at the same time, right? But it doesn't, well, now we're supposed to talk about the word practice. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't really try to say what a practice, I can say what my practice is, you know, or what I try to do with my practices, but it's hard to, um, I don't think at this moment in choreography we can, it doesn't have one, it doesn't mean one thing, it can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, and maybe then my question would be, um, like you could name what you do uh, in many ways and you have chosen the word practice mm. so what what does it do for you and for your work because you then you relate to that word by naming it practice right yeah i think it's uh, maybe for me um because sometimes i, I think it's interesting also because we have the other word of like a technique graham technique or something what is the difference then between a technique and a practice I'm not sure. That could be something to discuss. But for me to make something into a practice, it still needs to have at least enough of um, specific uh, instructions or like commonalities in, in the doing so that it's possible to repeat it from one day to another. Otherwise, it would be different practices, right? So, there, so like, there needs still to be something that it can can go on, right? And then, of course, practices can develop and they can change and these current, like, whatever these instructions are. But um, I think when I was younger and I was developing practices, maybe then I actually called them methods. And this is also why is oh, hmm. Okay, that's <laughs> that's a whole another track. Anyhow, then I think it was kind of also like, and I stayed with that that there was the limitations that makes something into something, right? So, as long as the instructions have limitations, it can become a method or a practice. And I think in my early days, I were so afraid of, and I felt such a big need of dealing with my heritage. So now talking about the ballet academy again, like I felt that I needed to rewrite a lot of these practices that I had. And I felt that when I was dancing, they were always popping out. You know, as soon as my foot left the floor, it wanted to stretch. You know, it was all, I had a lot of different tendencies. And so I started to create these limitations to be able to avoid the tendencies and to find other solutions of movements, basically. And at that point, I thought I was so much like, okay, practice has to be all um, written intellectually and it should all come from the thinking. Like if I would let my body just go, I will only repro reproduce heritage. So I was very, very strict with things being super like initiated from the thought process. Today, I think I <laughs> reached a point where I know that the body and the responses of the body is equally strong and equally important and equally interesting. So I did a journey in that. Um, uh, yeah, well, now I'm starting to say details that are maybe not relevant for this discussion. I don't know, but it, yeah, it yeah, but um, so for me now, I think I try to include, um, yeah, like for example, what we've been doing in the workshop these days, and I think a lot of my practices are trying to deal with consciousness and the idea of consciousness and how can we become conscious of our consciousness in a sense. And then I think we, from my point of view, then we have to deal with everything that we're conscious about, which is both feelings physical behaviors, uh, movements that we do to survive, like breathing, um, heritage, choices, thinking, like it, it, 
for me, a practice then deals with all these things. I don't think a practice have to, right? I mean, certain practices are maybe dealing with one of these specific areas, and that's valid and great as well. But I am maybe more and more interested of this. Yeah, like how could every, absolutely everything be material? Mm. And to what extent do we want to control it? Maybe we shouldn't either control all of it. But I want to be aware of it. I'm too curious to kind of let it be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I would try, not a definition, but mm. like a, just for now, formulation of what it could be. Um, I'm thinking of a practice as um, a doing that is aimless or that has a different relationship to aim than production does. Mm. Like there is not, um, not at least, there is a different thought about where this is going. Right. Like the practice is valid just by itself in a sense. That's somehow what you're... Yeah, and it's mm. about the doing um, here and now rather than what is it going to be or where is it going. Right. I mean, for me, I think a practice could be both, but they are for sure... Uh, different value systems no and I think it's fine right <laughs> like a practice could be a thing that you think that it's valid in itself it doesn't need to produce something extra or need to arrive to certain ideal states although I think there's always ideals within each practice because there's rights and wrongs or because <laughs> we need these limitations to know what it is right and a practice may be saying also that is practice always something that you can get good at because the kind of um, the author of the practice tends to have certain interests that are favored in the practice. Not then are then better or good? You mean? In a sense, yeah. yeah. Or like, and I don't think it necessarily have to be a bad thing that there are things that are prioritized mm. because they are also skills. And sometimes I feel in the dance field that we are afraid of speaking about that because we want. Um, that everything should just be so like democratic and nice and great, which is of course good, but it can also be kind of like, for example, um, these last years talking about a very different type of practice. I wanted to learn um, to do handstands. I was never very acrobatic in when I was working a lot as a dancer. So I thought, well, okay, now I'm old enough to have distance to this. Let's, you know. So I went started to go to a person like ten times a year to learn how to handstand. And I've been going on with this for three years and now I can do <laughs> a decent handstand. But of course, there are certain rules in a sense to how you do a handstand. If you're going to stand for at least 40 seconds, you can't just do it anyway. Or there will be other certain, you know, certain it's skills. And it's okay. And it didn't feel bad for me to learn these skills. So I think that's also like, why are we scared of that? But I think... Um, I think you're right in the sense of, I think also I try to myself make differences when, when is the practice, let's say, in itself interesting because it's dealing with or opening up my consciousness, for example, in a way that is good for me or enjoyable, mm. but it doesn't have to produce anything for anyone else than me. And that's enough, right? And other times I really need to push practices to produce things because I'm making artistic work. Yeah. And here when um, you mention handstand, mm. then I think the like different uh, meanings of practice comes in. Like mm. the practice that is doing something over and over to get better, like the Swedish word öva. 
Right. And of course, then a handstanding practice could be I'm practicing my handstand to get better or to be able to stand. Mm. But if if I would take the word, the other definition of practice, having a handstand practice, then I would say like, <laughs> then I would just stand a lot on my hands, mm-hmm. but not necessarily to like, you know, achieve, achieve. exactly. I wouldn't mm. maybe, ah, you know, that there for me, th- I don't know what it is, but there's something for me that there is different. Yeah, but but I think there is also, there's been this big shift, right? At least in, like in, in, a, in a Swedish dance context, I don't think like 10 years ago, people talked about practice as much as we do now. I don't know exactly when the, when the timing of things, but, and I think the fact of when a lot of people were doing practices on stage and claiming that to be the material rather than making, you know, like having a practice that generates a material and you would learn the material and then you would practice the material as traditional dancing was often made, right? Then that was a big kind of provocation also. And that was political in the sense that it was questioning this idea of production, right? And perhaps also claiming that this thing of practicing, doing again and again, has it's that's either more dance maybe for some people or has a greater value or a kind of escaping certain capitalistical values in terms of producing entities or artifacts. So I think there's a lot of, there are still this sensation of practice being a nicer, better, or more genuine, or <laughs> kinder way of doing than something very like strictly disciplined, mm. taught out choreographic material that is somehow thrown upon a sub- subject that would prefer something else. Or maybe yeah. I'm not thinking better, but different. Mm. Yeah, oh, but different. That for there sure. is a yeah. difference. Mm. But I think it's also like today. I'm wondering also like because of all of these, there are so many practices that it's not really that we can say practice. To practice is better than or indifference to. No, because in between different practices, we have all of these differences that we're talking about, right? Handstands, that's as much of a choreographic practice as any of the practices we've been doing this week, right? But it's not considered maybe because it's considered to be circus then or acrobatics or something else. Yeah, it's 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 fun though. Yeah. Mm. And it's fun, like, even though, as you say, we don't need a a definition that we all have to respond to mm. but i think the process of trying to formulate it over and over and trying to mm, capture your relation to it yeah. has something yeah i think mm. so too mm. and i think it is productive in the sense of kind of also raising awareness or giving credit to certain non-traditional practices as also uh, fields of knowledge and there i think the term has done a lot so that it can be equal to ballet or equal to something else that has like much more rigid uh, institutions and history. So, mm. Because it's also such a great title of the festival to say mm. within practice. Mm. Like we're, we're standing in the middle of it and trying <laughs> to see what it is exactly. <laughs> while we're doing it, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was also uh, because I... And that's maybe been a reoccurring interest uh, of mine in symposiums and festivals too. Because I do find it's really, I like theory a lot. And I like, I think the, 
Yeah, but but when it comes to practice, I think it's equally important, or in arts in general, to kind of like how could we not only talk about things, but talk from within, or or be with the doing, or giving the doing as much force as theory, because it seldom has, right? In in society in general, but also in dance, and especially I think since uh, dance and dance educations today have become more and more theoretical, and you know, in some sense, intellectual, also somehow like. Yeah, how do we then defend the practical knowledge um, as uh, yeah, and give it as the same value, right? Mm. And how do they intersect? Because they do. They affect each other so much. So it's also kind of, yeah, also that within practice. It has both. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And this is maybe jumping a bit, but within is also interesting in general. Like when are we not within like whatever we're trying to look right. at, <laughs> where is that supposed outside position? Mm. And it's also a very Western <laughs> idea that we could ever, yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, so moving on to this uh, workshop that mm. we're doing this week, where you are sharing your practice or one of your practices. And uh, that practice is concerning repetition. And uh, preparing this, I thought a lot about how much repetition there is within dance training. Like <laughs> going to maybe the same place, same time every week, um, and doing the same moves, the same coordination, the same ideas over and over again. And of course, um, admitting that you're sometimes failing with that repetition, but also with a very strong uh, conviction that repetition is uh, a thing, mm. even though we m- could maybe argue otherwise. True. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but how come you spend so much time with repetition? And uh, what is it um, that got you hooked? It's a good question because it kind of came, it sneaked onto me. <laughs> so it was not like a deliberate choice and then I kind of um, I think a lot of my artistic process like now I'm speaking like when I'm doing a new piece or a new production because um, that's usually the format for how I work of course then as many I want to use it as much as for research as I can <laughs> Uh, but it's really hard to get funding for research. So you do productions, right? <laughs> so, And these are go, come hand in hand. And often for me, I do pieces in related to certain things that I have a hard time understanding. And they either, usually they both bug me, but also creates desire. So I have this kind of hate-love relationship to a lot of the topics that I choose. And it's like I cannot let them be, you know. And But as I said, repetition sneaked onto me, like specifically repetition in the sense of the practice that we've been doing this week, which is a very kind of short loop of repetition. So the beginning and the end is very, very close together because it could also be that we could practice repetition of coming each Monday, right? That would be, we would have maybe half a year to be able to do this practice. But um, so, and that sneaked in I think in 2012, and I'm not really sure how we ended up exactly in that practice. It was me, Sofia Go and Anja Arnqvist, we were working on a on a piece together. And that practice was one of many practices that made that piece uh, called Introduction. And it was also the first year when I was doing, um, uh, I was employed as a researcher in the University of Arts uh, in Umeå. 
and we worked with the philosophers. It was also kind of like the first time that I had more extended time to do the research. Anyhow, I'm losing track a bit. But and then somehow, maybe, be, yeah, because I've been seeing other choreographers, uh, Alexander Gottfeld, for example, and a few others that are working with very similar practices. So it's, I mean, I'm not the only one, of course, and repetition, as you say, has always been a thing. Um, I also had this liking of the mathematical side of composition somehow, um, already since the beginning. So something there, I think, also that made it, made me stick with it. Um, yeah, I just don't just. It's funny because now it's been maybe like two or three, three, three years almost that I've been mainly working with these practices <laughs> and I still don't feel tired of it. I think like some people that I've been working with, they are tired of it by now, <laughs> but I'm not still. And I, that's maybe a bit of my personality also. I have this kind of, I can really, I'm, I'm nerdy in that sense. I can really stay <laughs> with the same thing for a long time because I feel that it's growing and I think there's new questions coming and maybe because it is dealing with uh, consciousness on so many different levels and that has always been also in other practices that I have those ingredients are there but within this specific practice and how it's constructed um, they unfold so quickly and I think that's why I'm drawn to it yeah no, I mean, I'm still I mean I think that's a great question I'm still myself sometimes wondering like why am I <laughs> how, for how long should I you know kind of yeah mm. but it's um True, what you say, like to um, what did you say before? Be conscious about your consciousness, mm -hmm. and it's really an effective way to ask someone to stand in repetition because you get confronted quite soon with um, a lot. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I think also because my majority, as I said before, like the majority of my practices, or there's always this layer in all my practices that is trying to deal with, like kind of trying to um, create a situation where the dancer or the performer's heritage comes out clearly to the surface or at least parts of it and then see how that can be changed. This has been like one of my main interests as an artist always. And for me, uh, being a choreographer is a lot about watching others because that's how I chose to work. That's one of my other practices is to watch. <laughs> uh, and yeah. So I think that's maybe also like, and that corresponds, as you said, very strongly in this practice. There's many things that align, but I'm sure I will not stay with it for, I've also started to see like, there's something about like four or five years-ish cycles for me. With interests, you mean? Yeah. Ah, okay. Mm. So I wonder, let's see. Repetition has two more years. <laughs> Could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm already into doing other practices that is more like, because now I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's not repetition that I'm interested in. Maybe it's patterns. Mm. So now lately this year, and uh, I will start with that in this later in this fall, more uh, deeply going into considering that as a starting point. And then already the practices that I started to develop on how to create patterns, patterns needs repetition. Huh? So, But it's just a kind of a, an umbrella for where this type of practices that we've been doing this week could be one specific way of creating patterns, but there's other other ways of doing that. So, um, and I think maybe also because these last years I've been so much um, going more and more into voice, uh, also learning maybe more theatrical techniques or like stuff like that or singing a lot in the last piece. 
And then, of course, as soon as you start shifting medias, the same kind of practices produce something completely different. And then you get even more questions and the, it expands once again. So I think that's maybe also one of the reasons why I stayed with it for a long time, because it's I feel that the expression or the worlds that it has created has still become very different from each other. Mm. Um, and one of the things I enjoy so much is like admitting this impossibility of repeating a movement. And because in the workshop you give us two tasks basically. The mm. first one is repeat, like establish movement and repeat it. The second one is observe the difference. Mm. So in a way we have to fail with task one to be able to do task two. Yes. And And I would even say, to clarify that, I would say even no matter how hard you try, you will fail. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> If you're honest to your own execution. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to try to fail. That will happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the setup has already yeah, yeah. Uh, understood that there will be failure. Yes. Um, and, and that's when I think like dancing is the most exciting. Mm. When you get within this sort of paradox or conflict um, and um, and that that is uh, producing the work right um, which you mentioned already many mm. times with this getting confronted with mm. um, your own process um, but could you describe what it does for you to put up these paradoxes or work within within the conflict I think And if I'm going to talk about it more broadly, as because I have other practices that are not dealing with repetition, but still produces these type of conflicts and the conflict within the doing or the conflict between the doing and the reflection or different layers, right? That can be can different differ from different practices. I think for me, what I like with it, like the first step is that I, usually it creates presence and it heightens awareness because that person needs to be so analytical about themselves like both kind of choosing a lot and there's a lot of choice making which requires attention but it, there's also a lot of reflection about results so there's kind of a what's the next step but also what has just happened and sometimes i think these two things are the opposite of presence but when you're doing them quick enough they somehow collide and you become not in the future nor in the past but in the actual now and there's something there on how to I've always been interested in kind of this idea of presence that also kind of uh, was provoking me and how that was taught to me when I was young because it was not really, first of all, not really talked about and and also rarely I felt that anyone was giving me any uh, tools on how to create presence. It was just something that you should somehow switch on or that it was some kind of feeling or I don't know, or worst case scenario even, it was an expression, a pre-decided expression that should be copied, which is... That's a practice for sure, but I'm not so sure if it's, well, you know what I mean. Anywho, so I was also like, what is, and then I think for me at least, um, overload, the overload or multi-layered things, so kind of the uh, too much stimuli or these type of things has always been my way into presence production in different ways. And then I think conflicts is a great thing. And then secondly, I I do in a way, appreciate um, equilibrism in a performer, but not in the traditional way, maybe. 
But equally important, I feel, it is to demask the performer. So to really lay bare somehow um, the mistakes, the trying, uh, the energy that it goes into trying. And I think all of these um, things makes, hopefully, or what I want at least, is that it makes the person, or whatever we would call it, the human, the, the person, not only the professional, to show equally much. And um, and I feel like as an audience, that's what I can identify with. Someone that is there as me trying something that is really hard. And I want to see that it's, I don't want to be ballet when it's like they're actually, ble they're bleeding in their shoes, but it all looks perfect from the outside. No, I won't want to do the opposite. Like, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, so I think maybe those are the two main reasons. Mm. But there's spectras of that, of course. And I don't think either it's possible, talking about the ideal, I don't think it's possible for anyone to be in that type of intense presence for a very long time. So it's also like, how do we score or uh, okay different types of concentration and different types of presence? Uh, and I like actually in, the, in Swedish, I think it's more fun with the wording of that. Because närvaro says something about when we're going to be where. And I think like Narvaro and Darvaro or Dovaro and all of these things that you can make just with these wordings says a lot about how I feel dancing can be because you can see someone being very present in their thing but feeling very far away because they're actually not here with us in a social environment. So it's also these layers of what is the presence production? Who is going to be present with what or whom? When? <laughs> and when, how is that constituted? And then talking about practice, when we construct a practice, do the practice then have certain aims of how that specific presence production should be constituted and, and um, what are the interests around that? Uh, it's also a life project. I think I will never find the answers on this, but it's fascinating to try. Yeah. Mm. And then, like strategies for that presence production, is this this impossibility, this paradox, or this? Absolutely. What did you also mention, like a overload of yeah. Uh, stimuli? Yeah. Because I think also, like sometimes it's, I guess, and then it's like also what what's the word that we use for that? But like sometimes we, at least in the studio, we talk about flow. Kind of when you feel that all these different sides of oneself is somehow. In, so strongly interlinked and very quick, the reflective, the sensorical, the associative, the playful, the disciplined, the like, and all of these make you kind of, you. sometimes it almost feels like you're starting to do choices that you're very aware of, but you don't know exactly where they came from. Like you're in this super heightened state. And I think most of us dancers know the feeling of that. And I think it's something like it's a drug. Yeah, totally. When, when, you know, when you have felt it, it's like, mm, I want to be there again. <laughs> and then it's worthy to practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the overflow is it's similar to that, right? Mm. Where the also the, the feeling of time is very different. I think that's also why it's so desirable. Mm. And I think you mentioned like this with presence that it is about like being here mm. and I think I my experience is often that that is a condition to get into that heightened state that I really have to arrive really at this place 
and with a very like physical relationship to my body as in like my bones and flesh yeah i agree yeah mm, totally yeah yeah and i think also um <laughs> A dancer that I worked with this spring, Marianne Chashun, uh, she said it's really good. She was like, yeah, but I think my work is actually how to like kind of compose presence, mm. you know, maybe compose. Uh, maybe she chose a better word, but somehow like uh, talking about that, that's the main work. It's like thinking about all of these different presence productions from, I mean, when you have a piece like we've talked about it like that, like from the beginning to the end, what are these different states that she's dealing with and constructing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That would be interesting also as an intention with dance training. Mm. Yes. True. What if what if the intention or all the training we're putting in is actually to be present in my physicality and yeah. in my presence? Yeah. Mm. And I think it's like this uh, it's weird that I mean, nowadays in, in schools and the type of practices people are doing in dance training are closer to that. But it's funny with some of these, like, let's say, older techniques that I felt that it was at least not spoken so much about how these things were supposed to be connected. And sometimes I wonder, like I would want to go back to certain people and ask, like, how do you think presence is produced? And how is that related to this contraction? Where is the presence production in that? Is there? Should there be? Or because mm. I feel like a lot of times I'm sure that they had ideas of it, but I was maybe not. I was maybe too young, or I didn't have experience enough, or with you know, like there were a lot of things that made me miss out of information. So I'm not want to say that there was not, but by some reason I didn't get it at least. Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> What I also experience in this workshop is that. Mm, my experience of what we're doing is really taking into the work as a material. And not only through the conversations that we have, but it's um, it's a part of the practice, as nice. we have already mentioned, to, mm. to get uh, confronted with myself and how I do things and my habits and my thoughts. And as I understand, that's also a choreographic interest when you make works. Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to ask how you work with that in producing a piece. Um, let's see, what is the, like, um, say again what you said, like more specifically, like in terms of like working with everything, as everything is material, was that the main, no? Yeah, or that my experience is the material. Right. So if you're, if you're performers, like mm-hmm. their experience of the work is the material and how how is that being how do you work around that sure or with that right so uh oh yeah, there's of course many many different ways in different pieces in different parts or different pieces um but i think one of the things that we worked quite a lot with actually not in the last piece but in many others uh is how to correspond to the reactions that you get from the audience and how can we score that as a material because that's also kind of a real-time experience that the performer has that might also differ a bit from day to day or a lot dependent on um yeah should i give a clear example of that then yeah but for example we have this like kind of um uh, this in in one um, a solo for sofia go it's called prologue um there's this moment 
kind of close to the end, like maybe 45 minutes into the uh, piece, where she's doing a bad ending. And she's going to try to fool the audience. To, so she's trying to do a bow, and she wants to get them all to applaud because she needs them to applaud to be able to continue the next uh, score because she's also then applauding together with them. And then, yeah, another practice starts. Um, so then, of course, I think it's like a lot of things. It's like she needs to be very much in the experience of like how, where is like somehow like where's the dramaturgy together with the audience to know for something to feel like an ending, like how to produce an ending. when Also when you know that it's actually not the ending, it's harder, right? Um, and I also wanted, because we, I thought it was more powerful, if it was a bad ending. So it was like an unclear ending. So then she also had to work with that. Um, and there, for example, it was kind of fun because then we luckily got to perform this work quite many times. So we had also many different types of experiences. And sometimes the audience understands it, you know? And they decide collectively, we're not going to applaud. We understand that this is what she wants. And they start to refuse, which means that she needs to go to even more extreme matters. And this was also kind of like, okay, she needed to, because in the beginning, she's just going like kind of, she's ending in the back, like really in the back uh, stage. And then she's coming forward kind of and starting to bow. And if they don't do that, um, well, then maybe she starts to like applaud herself to show them that it's over. If they don't, then then she tried to walk outside and she runs in again with this typical like running in to mm -hmm. take the bow. You know, like all of this. I don't know if this is a good example, but I think it's at least, at least an example of how that experience, like there's there's become they're becoming a kind of a communication between her and the audience, and that is the experience that she needs to be to treat and have a practice for knowing how to treat to be able to get to where she wants, right? But it also produces this conflict between possibly, sometimes they just applaud directly and, and the piece goes on. But like in these moments where it's also very productive conflict for her also, that also creates a lot of materiality that mm. she can use. Because um, actually when she's then later on starting to applaud herself, the first thing she's going then through in a kind of an affirmation trip between a lot of different emotions um, and the first one is is uh, laughing or like uh, kind of yeah. so then of course if there is this conflict very often she gets nervous and she feels intimidated which is anyhow creating a kind of little laughter of embarrassment within her which is then close to the next practice right so they can also be like um, in the piece maybe these type of favor favorable uh, flows but still needs to be I don't know if that's a good example, but I think it is, yeah. and that mm. is like an example of a, a difference where I can experience your inner performance, and you have to ignore things that happens to right. proceed, mm. or I have to ignore um, experiences that I have to be able to do what is asked of me. Mm. Indifference to whatever I'm experience is a part of right. the work. Yes. And I think it's also interesting because we've been then trying to work with, are there certain parts of the performance where we don't want to react? Mm. Because sometimes uh, that can be a way of mm, controlling the outcome. Because if the audience starts to understand, that type of self-awareness can be both positive or negative. It can either make them feel empowered and they want to use it, but they can also feel exposed. So I think it's also somehow like uh, there's a whole... Um, well, first of all, maybe an ethical question about that, but also like a reason of what do we want to produce or when do we want what to be confrontative on what level? So, yeah, but... Um, hmm. 
Yeah, and I think also it's uh, most of the time if it's done in a way where the audience feel that they can they understand that it's somehow participatory or whatever you should call that that there's a dialogue. Yeah, I mean most of the time I think people enjoy it. Mm. You know, and it's kind of if it's not like provocative or kind of doing it towards them in a um with a bad will somehow or, yeah mm. and then there's also other aspects than the audience mm. of course and um, for example now in the practice that we do that my mistakes or whatever when i fall out of what i think is the task is immediately a part of right. the work yes and again talking about this uh, presence production like i'm never out even mm. when i'm f- even when i fall out i immediately have to incorporate that falling out right and i think that's also what's uh, nice because it's usually only a value different we're used to different valuations of what is okay to be a material and um if we try to take down these hierarchies we we have so much more uh, much more richer material always accessible in somehow in the body because we cannot stand in front of others for example or even being with ourselves dancing without having a lot of valuations and thoughts yeah, and da 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 mm. it's there no matter we want it or not so if we start to see it as something productive mm, and we talked about it a bit was it today like this there's so much attention going to blocking out things and what if we kind of unblock that and let the stream flow what happens like will we get crazy no we will in a sense be able to be in control of this specific thing at the moment <laughs> yeah and talking about being within mm, exactly. then everything everything is always within <laughs> yes exactly and you <laughs> can never and then in a sense do mistakes no in, and which level. is <laughs> for me this might sound i don't know but like um coming closer to the like real conditions of being in mm. the world like right, everything yeah. is within everything is material and everything is uh, yeah yeah and it would be interesting to know because i think like all everyone no all humans have all of this conflicting thoughts and desires and that all the time or so i think also everyone can, can at least if yeah most people could probably also recognize it or uh, understand what is what within that because it's a gesture that we that we have felt. Mm. Nice. I have a finishing question mm. that I ask everyone. And um, I have made a habit of excusing it, but I won't. But now I did. But I will say uh, that I leave the interpretation <laughs> of this question up to you. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what is a good dancer? Oof. Mm. Well, I would say, first of all, you would like according to what then, right? So a good dancer, a good ballet dancer is something very different from a good whatever other genres we want to draw into that. Um, I think also it's tricky nowadays. Okay, so then I will try to ask, answer it from me. What's a good dancer in my studio? Because that's the only thing that is interesting for me to comment on then. Um I think it's tricky because in a way we have moved into a place where um the dancer supposedly should be so good in so many things they should be able to be 
a great partner in producing peace and work and research and uh, also execute it well in the right moments when it's needed and you know it's all of these things and then of course the question is what is it then to execute well or what is it to be an interesting researcher and all of this is very subjective and just dealing with my specific practice right but there's still a value system surrounding it um and i think it's um yeah hard to be kind of maybe specific about but i think yeah what are the good qualities of course uh, ah it can also be so cliche talking about these things but i think like yeah maybe like in a certain way um i like working with people that are disciplined and i like myself trying to be disciplined because i think it has a great value no matter what it is you're doing and then of course understanding that this might be like a very <laughs> invented little practice and why should we do but it becomes more fun if we are i think <laughs> um then of course uh, all of the other kind of the social aspects i find is super interesting and and important because i'm um, maybe not always so good in resolving conflicts and stuff like this so if there are people that are um where that happens a lot it becomes more difficult for me <laughs> and which is also saying more about my weakness you know but it, it's still that affects um i try to think also that there's this possible like there's a combination of that i try to find myself at least as an artist a lot where where how to be both super we talked about it the other day also but very playful and critical at the same time and critical without becoming bitter or closed or conservative and playful without becoming just naive or letting everything go kind of um how can they join because i think there's something there and i think um in a sense also i think like because that i've seen when i worked with people that maybe are not so interested in researching their own heritage for example or not so interested of going into this kind of conflictual space because that can kind of be a hard thing to face also right so i would say like maybe that's the most important thing that a, uh, <laughs> a good performer or dancer is someone that, that is has share similar interest as i do at a certain moment mm-hmm. <laughs> no because then we can invest time and energy and in that and hopefully be both disciplined and playful with it and great things might come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. It's a hard question. It's a really hard question. But it's still yeah. um it makes uh, something happen. No, it makes sense because I think it's also like why do we don't want to really talk about it because we all do and especially if you are an employer as as I am, I do choices obviously because I think certain people or performers are more interesting than others. Anything else would be to lie, I feel. And I think a lot of people would say no no and this is da 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 but because we all know also that in the end we are able to work because a certain amount of people appreciate what we do and there's a certain whatever we think that quality is this group or this people doing this validation that has power over us in that sense so of course we are judging ourselves and others unfortunately yeah that's that's how it is that's how it is mm. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you would like to add mm. or is there any question you would like me to ask you oh yeah no not really i think it's very nice 
nice and fun and interesting for me also to uh, yeah, to engage in these conversations. And I felt also like maybe talking about like why, how can I stay so long? Like even this week with you guys has been uh, like I have now some new, even new questions or perspective on certain questions. That's a reason why to continue, right? Also, so yeah, thank you for that. No, thank mm. you, and thank mm. you for joining this podcast. Of course. Then we close it. Sure. Thank you, whoever has been listening. Ten, six, five, eight, 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 eight